0: If you have a copy of God's Word with you, turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to look in uh, John's Gospel as we continue our series on views from the cross. John chapter 19 is where we will pick up our story today and one of the statements that Jesus made um, to those that were around the cross. So, Um, John chapter 19, and we will start in verse 16, and we're going to read down through verse number 30. But here is John's record, John's eyewitness record, because he is standing there as we will see in just one moment as we read these verses, but this is John recounting the moments, the hours of the crucifixion. Starting in verse 16, here is what is written. So he, that is Pilate, delivered him, that's Jesus, over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified, was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray this morning. Father, this passage that we are reading, John's account of Jesus' crucifixion, the account that we've spent the last couple of weeks in the Gospel of Luke, looking at, Father, they are familiar to us, those of us who may have grown up in church, been a number of times around Easter, had friends and and or family members who were believers. Father, I pray that the familiar words of these verses would Not cause me, not cause us this morning to be complacent, to think that I've heard this before. It is familiar to me. I understand that your son, God, that your son died on a cross some 2,000 years ago. But Father, we would look at these and Lord, your spirit would move in me, in us as we hear these words spoken, as we... See, Father, give us eyes to see, spiritual eyes to see what is taking place. Father, give us spiritual ears to hear that it's not just words that we hear. but Father, you speak into our hearts and into our lives. God, we are drawn to you. We are on bended knee, bowed humbly. In front of your face. In front of your throne. Praising you for this event. For what took place. And for the compassion that you showed through your son. And that your son showed on me. On us. Father we need to understand that. But even more than understanding it. We need desperately to live that out as we go through our week this week. So God, I pray for the men in this place, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. God, we would lead our lives, number one, our our wives and family, if we're married and have kids, in the way that you would have us to live and to lead this coming week. And Father, for the the ladies that are here, that they would live their lives this week with this in mind, with this at the forefront of our minds. For Father, we need, you have called us, you have commanded us all, men, women, boys and girls that know you, you have commanded us to be salt and light. So Lord, may this speak into our hearts this morning. And bring honor and glory to your great name. I ask it in His name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, leading up to Easter, we have uh, spent a number of, of weeks, and we will have spent a number of weeks uh, looking at the cross. and I entitled the the series views from the cross, and it's really views from the cross because as Jesus is looking out off the cross, down from the cross, or as those around him are looking up at the cross, you might could state it as views of the cross as well, but in any fashion that you state that, these four or five weeks leading up to Easter, these four or five weeks as I like to call it leading up to Resurrection Day, we are looking at different facets, different angles of the reason behind the cross. The first, a few weeks ago, we saw just the event itself. It was an event that took place on most every day, if not every day, every week, and those moments that were there that they would place somebody on the cross, yes, the Romans did not um, come about as ones that invented the cross or crucifixion, but they loved it, they loved showing their power over anyone who was trying to usurp it over any unrest they tried to and did squash it by public displays of torture and death. And it was the cross. Numerous times in Rome's existence, they would crucify hundreds at one time. It has been documented on numerous occasions, that there was a thousand, that there were two thousand, even up to five thousand people crucified in a day. This is something that was commonplace in and of the day of Christ. And so we saw the historical event a couple of weeks ago. Last week we spent our time looking at one of the statements that That of salvation, even on the midst of the cross, there was forgiveness, there was repentance, there was salvation to this thief, to the one to his right or the one to his left. One of them came to him and asked, Lord, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. As a sign of salvation, as a sign of confession, understanding who Jesus was, he sought a Savior and the Savior was there. Willing and both willing and able to save. Today, as we look at these views of the cross, we're going to get to compassion, but that'll be the second half of the sermon and the statement that he had for Mary and the statement that he had for John, the disciple that he loved. We'll see that. But first, I want us to see this reason or reasons for the cross. Looking at it from God's point of view and looking at it from our need, I need us to see the reason that there had to be a cross. There had to be Jesus suffering and dying, bleeding for you and for me. The reason for the cross. The reason for the cross was... Twofold from god 's view, one that he is a just God. look with me and uh, you can see them on the screen if you would like, but uh, the verses that are there are Romans chapter three verse twenty one down through verse twenty six and i 'm going to read these verses for us, and we 're going to look at the last two of those, but I need you to see the whole of the thought that Paul was writing to the people at Rome, and he stated this in Romans 3 verse 21 and following. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction in the verse that we all know or most know that would Know about this passage, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You might think of that as a period, as a total statement, but it's not. There is another part to that sentence to make that full statement. Verse 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 23 states, and verse 24 are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God, verse 25 states, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, and you say, what in the world is forbearance? It is... This, in his um, self-control, in his patience, in his restraint, in his forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and, verse 26 states, the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Say, all right, Brian, I, I see that verse or I see those passages, that passage. What, what does that have to do with the reason of God being just? Because God is just. Paul writes to those at Rome, and he writes for you, and he writes for me, and he says, Hey, he cannot just overlook sin in the past those sins of Adam and Abraham and Moses of Noah and all their sons, those sins of David and Solomon and all those that were living in the Old Testament, he could not overlook those sins. But what he did in his forbearance, in his restraint, in his tolerance, he threw them kind of behind a dam. And at the right time, Jesus dying on the cross all of those sins came rushing back and all payment for that sin, for those sins, past, present, and future, were paid because of the shed blood and the broken body of this sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because God is just and He can't turn a blind eye to sin, you and I see that there must have been Away. And the only way that there was was through the death of a perfect sacrifice. You know, this week I went to uh, Google, a great place to do some research. And I, I just typed in this question. What's, what's the largest dam in the world today? The largest dam in the world today. It holds back some 114 million gallons of water. And it is the Three Gorges Dam on the Yangtze River in China. That dam has 20, some, excuse me, some two dozen generators, not 2,000, some two dozen plus generators that on a daily basis they allow so much water through but they hold back so much water. And it provides electricity for the region and even major segments of that whole country. It was as if from Adam till the time of the crucifixion of the cross that God just placed these sins not out of his mind because he didn't forget about them. But he placed those sins knowing that one day there would be one, his perfect son, who would take your place on the cross, who would take Abraham's place on the cross, who would take Noah, Sarah's, Ruth's, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David, and you take any of the others that are spoken of in the Old Testament or any believer in the Old Testament, he would take his sin or her sin on the cross. But until that moment, that dam was there holding back the wrath of God in his forbearance, in his restraint. He did just that because God is just. Sin must be paid for. But that's just one facet of who God is. Another attribute, another character of God, another characteristic of God is that God is love. John, the same man that wrote these words that we're looking at today in John 19, wrote a letter that says that God is love. It's not that He has love or that He portrays that love. No, that His essence is love. He wrote these words in John chapter 3 of the Gospel of John for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for god did not send his son into the world to condemn it but in order that the world might be saved through So not only is God a just God, and God is just, but God is a God of love, for He is love. And because of that, He made a way for you. You say, Brian, this is basic. Yes, it is. It is basic. But it's also brilliant. That somebody would love you so much, you know, you. Uh, sometimes I, I use illustrations about myself and sometimes I'm going to use illustrations about you as a group, not as individuals. But sometimes you need to understand yourself. And I need to understand myself because you sin because of your nature. You were born into sin because your dad was a sinner. And his dad was a sinner. And his dad, all the way back to Adam. Every person that was born into this world, into existence, came into this world as a baby girl or a baby boy with a nature to sin. But not only do you sin and not only do I sin because of our nature, it gets worse. You and I sin because we choose to. I choose to do that. I choose to say those words. I choose to think those thoughts. I choose to do those works which are Thoughts, words, and actions of sin. And God being just has to punish that sin. But God being love makes a way for you and makes a way for me not to pay for that sin, but for that sin to be paid for by another Romans chapter 3, verse 25 states this God put forward Christ as a propitiation. If you are looking, if I am looking at this cross from the view of God, we must look at it as Him being just, sin has to be paid for. We must also look at it as Love because he is love and he desires for you to be with him for all eternity. He desires for me to be with him for all eternity. He desires for those that are in China, those that are around the world, he desires that none would perish, but all would have eternal life. But you and I must come and anybody else must come through his way. He said, Brian, what is the view from our side? The view from our side is this. Wayne Grudem, in his book, Bible Doctrines, points it out four different succinct, very short statements about the cross. He says this there had to be a sacrifice paid. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26 states just that, that there was. A sacrifice, not the blood of rams or goats or sheep or doves, but the blood of the Christ. Second, there was propitiation. First John chapter four verse 10 states this: that he was the propitiation. He took your place. He took my place, and that is what propitiation means. But third and fourth, there is reconciliation, and there is redemption. For you and for me and for those that we work with, those that we live next to, those that are a part of our physical families and have our last names or are tied through marriage to those names and to us. We all needed to be reconciled. We all needed to be brought back to the same level. And that fellowship and that relationship had to be restored. And he did that. He did that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and verse 19. And then in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, we see that he paid the ransom. He bought us back. And the price that was paid was his blood. The price that was paid was his body, his life. So as... Those last moments are taking place. And we see the view from God's point of view that He is just and payment had to be made for sin. Yet He is love and He sent Jesus. And Jesus willingly came and took your place and took my place on the cross to do those things. To have a sacrifice be paid. And to be propitiation and reconciliation and redemption. We see that Jesus... Is compassionate. You know, last week um, I was sitting around the, the group at, at, um, in our small group and we started talking about Jesus' attitude toward those in that moment. Jesus' attitude as he was um, ushered in on the back of a colt and he was hearing with his ears, Hosanna. All the time knowing that within a week that those hosannas would turn to crucify. And so we just started talking about it in our group and I and, uh, thought it was great that every single one of us said, you know what, there's no way in the world that I, if I was Christ, that I would have allowed them to say hosanna. I would have just stopped right there and said, you know what, in a week, with, in less than a week, you're going to say this about me and so just don't even say hosanna. But Jesus received it. So we thought about it for a little while. Why did He receive it? He received it because He was worthy of those words. He was worthy of those words. And He received it. One after another, singing praises, Hosanna to the highest. Because He is worthy of that. All the while knowing that the reason He was entering into that city was... To go to the cross. For every single one of those that yell crucify. And every single one of us. Who yell crucify in our words. Against him. Against others in our thoughts. In our actions. Called sin. We didn't deserve it. There's no way that we can ever repay him. Yet he. Showed compassion. we see this. Dialogue. Somewhat, it's a monologue really as it's written, but there was some communication between him and Mary and him and John as he's on the cross. And Jesus, on the cross, he displayed compassion of prodigious levels. And all prodigious means is of gigantic, of huge, of monumental, of great levels. And there's no way that anybody outside of Christ, could have shown that, outside of Messiah, could have or would have shown that in the midst of agony and death, but here's what he says, so the soldiers did these things at the end of verse 24, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother's sister. Also Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother, do you know what? When I read those words, when Jesus saw his mother, do you know that Jesus never called Mary mother? Mother? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the accounts of his birth, of his childhood, of him being a man, it's never recorded that he calls her mother, but he says, woman. And it's not that he is degrading her, but he is wanting to show, I believe that he is wanting to show that she and you and I, we have the same amount of compassion from his life. You say, how can that be? I mean, he, she is his mother. Mother. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 12. Let me read these words for us and, and just think about it for just a second. He had compassion on his mother, but he also has compassion for you and for me. And let me try to build this argument with these verses in Matthew 12, 46. Uh, he's in... I'm not going to read the whole story, but but here's what's happening. He's in the middle of this house, and he is working miracles, and he is teaching, and the house is full. And I mean, even outside the house, it is surrounded by those that want in to see him. And Mary, his mother, and his brothers are coming to get him. They are coming into this place wanting to take him away because they think he's crazy. They think he's lost it. And so they're outside... And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, it states this, but he replied to the man who told him. Because he said, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside and they want to see you. And he replies to this man who is telling him this. He says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. As Jesus is dying in John chapter 19, and he looks off the cross and he sees that one who bore him, as he sees Mary, I mean, we've got to know that. Joseph is not spoken of after he was the age of 12. Sometime in between the age of 12 and the day that he is on the cross, Joseph has passed. There is no one that is taking care of Mary. Jesus, the oldest child, is now the one who's supposed to take care of her. And he's on the cross, and he is breathing his last, and it is his responsibility to take care of her. And he sees John, And he says, woman, behold your son. Son, You take care of her. Behold your mother. You say, what about his other brothers? They weren't in right step with him. They didn't believe who he was until after death, burial, and resurrection, until after he came and he met with them face to face, after he rose from the dead. That is when they came. But at this moment, and John Continues to record, and even from that very hour, he had taken that responsibility, that great task, that great. Of utmost importance, he took care of Mary. You say, you and I would think of it this way. You and I would think of it. Well, he has compassion for us. How much more would he have for his mother? Jesus just flips it. He said, you know what? I have compassion for my mother, Mary, but I have so much more for you. He said, I don't understand it. How can he do that? That's what he just said in Matthew's gospel. He said, who's my mother and who's my brother? You who obey. If I obey him, if you obey him, we have this great compassion just Flooded on us because you and I are walking, living, speaking, obeying. And that compassion comes to us. Said Brian, okay. What does this mean for me today? The message is clear for you, and the message is clear for me in that this compassion. This compassion that was shown to Mary as he is breathing his last, as it was shown to John, as it was shown to the thief right beside him, as it was shown to all of those who accepted him as Savior and Lord, is shown to you and to me. Jesus' death was for you and his death was for me. And as we focus on it today, you and I must understand that that death was taken out out of compassion. He took your place. You deserve to be on that cross. I deserve to be on that cross. You deserve to be on that cross because of your nature that you were born into. You deserve to be on that cross because of your choices this past week, this past month, the choices that are going to take place this week when you and I defy Him and go against Him. We deserve that death. yet out of love and out of compassion He voluntarily died so that you and I might live. He voluntarily took The beating. So you and I might have rest and life abundantly. May you and I never cheapen the cost of your salvation or the cost of my salvation. It was a gift and it was given to you and it was given to me because of a gracious, loving God. But it cost Him His life. And it is never cheap. The price that was paid for your life was great. And he desires for you and he desires for me to know him. He desires for us to understand. But he also desires for us to live our lives in such a way that is pleasing to him. And what is that? That is the small things and the great things and the middle things that we would walk in obedience. Sometimes we don't understand what that next step is. And that next step needs to be taken in faith. That next step needs to be taken you say, Brian, I can't see. Maybe you can't see. But you and I should know the one We should know the one who has paid the ultimate price so that you and I can take one step out of darkness into his marvelous light and one more step and one more step until we are at the place that he says, that's what I want you to do. Right now. Not six weeks from now or six months from now. Not necessarily going to give you what your whole life plan is. But here is your next step, Brian. Take it if you trust me. River Riverbend, take it. Heavenly Father, we come this morning. God, some of us are here this morning, and Lord, we are in the midst of darkness, it seems, that the journey that we are on, yes, we're yours, but, Father, the journey has been dry. The journey of these past few days, these past few weeks, has been that of darkness and we can't see god we come back to you this morning if that's you this morning i just want to let you know the altar is open if god's calling you to come back to him maybe he wants you to come and kneel at the altar afresh and anew, physically and come back to him is the altar magical no it's not you can do it right in your seat you can do it up front but the issue is a hard issue and you come back to Him. If you don't know Him as Savior and Lord, I pray that this has come across clearly. Father, I pray that this message has come across clearly to those that do not know you, that have not accepted you. God, we would see, they would see how much you love them and what you've done for them. If that's you this morning, sir, if that's you, ma'am, boy, girl, may you come. Let me introduce you to the one who died for you the one who loved you unconditionally. It's a time of response, a time of invitation. The invitation is yours, the invitation is mine. Might we come.